Network Radio. This week's show is a journey into consciousness, working through the wonderful trance mediumship of Mick and Sylvie Avery, with wisdom brought through by spirit guide Gregory Hay. To find out more about their work, you can visit www.spirit-teaching.com. Well, as always, a very warm welcome to the show, Gregory. Thank you so for inviting us all. The many thousands who are here. The many thousands. So, I I think we've spoken before and you told me that the group's made up of scientists. um... Yes, my dear friend. Uh, Scientists, scholars, beings who have had both a physical side uh, of life, a a physical walk of life, and also many beings who have not. Uh, It is not something which is endemic within the spirit makeup that one has to have a physical life at all. It is purely and simply the offer or choice of a spirit to decide to have a physical life. That does not mean to say, of course, that the choice is explicit in the journey that is made. So with the thousands of, of beings that um, are there now, are they kind of, are you their spokesperson? Are, are you kind of are they channeling all the ideas and thoughts and concepts through you? Not really channeling then, my dear friend. What actually happens is this situation, as within Akashic readings, takes place on the diocese of uh, the halls of learning at which we are a part of at this present time. Uh, That means to say the halls of learning which are in their very nature alive uh, places. That means places in the form of structure, antimatter and uh, forms of, uh, I suppose, allowing that many different dimensions come and be at the one place. So it's in a sense like a, a fulcrum point, a central point of energy where beings from many different situations, dimensions and uh, different parts of the universe in, in a sense come together in like mind to share in the experience of what is taking place. So that means to say that as you are talking with our dear friend, the instrument who is not present and our dear friend Little Bird who is present uh, because of her energy that enables this whole situation to take place, what we are doing is we're using her energy in the transference of, in a sense, it's like having an eye or window open to the spirit world. And this enables us to bring about this uh, diocese-like platform, which is full of energy, uh, which surrounds uh, our two uh, accomplices here. And then, quite simply, what happens is the whole situation that takes place, with you included in this, uh, there is an energy field around you as well, as there would be if we were doing an Akashic reading. And so, therefore, we would be in the halls of learning of that person's soul group, and we would actually be together uh, within uh, the situation and also surrounding the client with our energy as well. And the client would most probably would feel and experience that. In some respects, friend, you will feel and experience certain kinds of situations. Uh, however, this may not be manifest continuously 
throughout the whole process of our interaction with you. So do I offer energy for this to happen as well, or do I just offer my words and questions? And your physical brain, my dear, <laughs> ideas, <laughs> your exclamations and uh, 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 the situation of anything else we do not take from you. We don't take from you your breath. We do not take from you your uh, motability, your interactive state is something which is kept integral to you. Sure, okay. And do are all the questions my own or do you, do you kind of inspire me through the week or I don't well, know? Well, my dear friend, no, because then that would say as though that we were conspiring to uh, create or elicit certain questions that we wanted to perhaps answer so as to have loaded the, the situation in our favour. We do not do that at all. We are not aware of the questions. On purpose, we have not made contact with you prior to this event, and we are certainly not investigating in your mind as to what you are going to say. Okay. I just thought it would be good to ask those sort of questions, really, to, just to know... Because a lot of people think the spirit are constantly in their space, reading their thoughts, reading their mind, if you like, um, and that you would actually know exactly what I'm going to say. So you I understand that, but that should not be the case. And I, I air people in the state of caution here when interacting with the spirit world not to allow themselves to constantly be open to the spirit world. It, I understand that there are many people on your side of life who, uh, being quite famous in this regard, keep themselves open a great deal of the time. And there are some who do that all of the time. And it's extremely worrisome that people would do that as a form of course of behavior, um, particularly because it means that they are entrusting the whole situation Purely and simply, it's like uh, actually letting go of their own self-determination. Yeah, okay. Brilliant. All right, okay. So I just want to lead on to um, a question that someone sent in. Um, And it kind of leads on to one of the the topics I wanted to discuss anyway. But um, basically, the the reader or listener that wrote in was basically she's a vegan. And she just wants to know really that... You know, there's, we talk a lot about animals, you know, what we can eat. And obviously there's a big difference between eating uh, like plants and animals. And some people choose to be vegetarian and not eat animals at all. Um, but also there's, there's the concept of like cutting flowers from a tree. You know, like if you cut a flower, is that actually harming the flower? An interesting point, my dear friend. And I am well aware that daffodils scream when cut. Do they? I am also well aware that uh, oftentimes they will faint when cut. So part of this situation is a matter of what you decide what is the state of consciousness. How do you decide that what is fair for you to do is unfair to the plant or is quite all right for you to carry out on the plant purely because you're the one with the pair of scissors? Hmm. I mean, is there a humane way to kill anything? I mean, I guess it's a matter of perspective, isn't it? 
really. Yes. I, I would have to say, though, friend, you're not actually killing the, uh, uh, the daffodil or whatever. It's only going to have abundant life to a certain form anyway. And the flower itself is there for an issue of purpose, is there to procreate the, the plant itself. So, in a sense, it's an expendable item. It's an expendable part of the plant. If you pulled it up, that would be a different matter. And it would be even worse if you just left it on a stone to dry out in the sun. So is it kind of this, is it similar to our intention? So if I went around just pulling up plants and cutting them off for fun, is that in the same way of going around actually hitting and harming people just for the sheer fun of it? Yes, absolutely. It's exactly the same as people who will uh, plunder a forest of all of its natural uh, plant and uh, all of its animal life, all of the entirety of what grows there. It, it doesn't mean to say that a person doing that and then going to church saying so many Hail Marys or whatever to absolve themselves is going to actually uh, bring about any kind of restitution for their acts of behavior because they'll simply go out and do the same thing again the following week. So I would suggest here that this is something that a person, for example, who is vegan, who does not actually by choice eat anything to do with uh, animal food or animal uh, relativity to the food, that means to say that I believe and understand that vegans do not eat eggs or do not eat uh, uh, drink milk or uh, have anything to do with animal byproducts as such. And so this means to say that the whole situation for a vegan is completely different, uh, partly because of their state of well-being within a cell and because they have no situation they are creating as a, uh, a continuous byproduct, if you like, of their behavior. Now, if a vegan turns around and cuts flowers simply because th that person wants to display them in their home, then obviously the first thing they want to do will be to talk to the flowers asking for their forgiveness, but also uh, connecting with them to understand how that flower will best be preserved in the greatest possible embodiment of itself so that it will survive the longest, for example, uh, within uh, using certain kind of preparation for such a plant, such a flower as a daffodil, uh, in order for it to continue with its life in the best possible way. Lemonade, I believe. Mm. I mean, there is actual physical evidence of this on, on Earth. There's a, um, I think there's a scientist called um, Cleve Baxter, I don't know if you're aware of him, and he actually um, attached a polygraph test to a plant yes. and was tr was trying to use intention to see if the plant would react. Now, whenever he um, intended kind of falsely without really carrying out his threat, he didn't get any response. But when he walked away and lit a match, um, the plant, the polygraph test went crazy. So this of plant, course. yes, yeah. absolutely. Uh, my point also would be, my dear friend, that you can actually uh, uh, attach certain kinds of electrodes and, m and ask a plant to produce music. Mm. It's been done. I understand Master Fripp uh, was an exponent of this. So do you have to say, can you create music, or do you just kind of have that intention in your... You have that intention, uh, uh, 
attach the right kind of electrodes to the plant itself. Usually I understand leaves of certain kinds of plants or a leaf and a stem to it uh, and allow the plant to do the rest. Wow. Okay, so, so the other question that she had as well was that obviously we, we wear clothing that comes from plants. Yes. So obviously we, we have no harmful intent um, to wear the clothing. It's something that we do you know, to sort of protect our modesty and to keep out of the cold and, yes. and stuff like that. So I guess from that universal perspective, we're not doing anything wrong, although from a plant's perspective, it's still going to go through that pain, isn't it? My dear friend, pain is transitory, is just a part of the physical life moving on from itself in a conscious way to the ether world. So that means to say that all of the fibers that a person may be wearing, if it's woven cloth or woven something or other, will be uh, that you are using the cells of something once living. Um, that does not mean to say that you are taking it at a whim. It means to say that you are, are obviously thinking uh, purely and simply, but because you've chosen that route. And all that I would say, my dear friend, is that inherent within the flight of passage, you would have one being from the physical world. Shall we say then a person buys a, a piece of material that is made from some kind of uh, woven uh, fabric, which actually came from some kind of plant. Um, or maybe uh, walked around on m rush matting or something like that. The point that you have to understand is that the, the matting used, the actual plants, the rushes themselves, were actually passed at the time long before it became turned into a rush mat. So that's similar to a jumper or some other kind of article of clothing that a person is wearing, whereby they have used organic plants to, uh, to be able to facilitate this. It, it's a part of the process. The plant's energy and life form has long since departed and all that you are left with is the fabric of the physical fibers that were created during its life. Okay. Is it also true that um, like animals sort of all belong to kind of a group soul? So that a, a horse would be part of the group soul of a horse. They're not necessarily like an individual consciousness like a human. No, that is quite untrue. Okay, so how, how do you see that? So what I'm saying is, for example then, there is the soul group of horse. And the soul group of horse includes zebra, okapi, uh, tapir, uh, many different other kinds of life forms that are all a part of the horse family. Each individual energy which had a transformational life in the physical state was a spirit who decided to have that and to be creative in that respect of physical life. So that means to say then, if there is, I believe the next question should be, what would be the relativity between a being of that soul group who was wild and never met a human being to the one who had met a human being or lived with a human being. And the difference would be that the one who was wild 
would be still empathic within the Earth's vibration and the Earth's spirit. And in a sense, that wouldn't mean that its spirit was any less of a vibration or that it didn't learn as much. It learned just as much within the fabric of its own individuality, its, its whole situation of its physical life. Whereas vis-a-vis -vis the, the, the situation with the horse that shared the human experience would have gained perhaps a lot of love, or maybe it gained a lot of pain and a lot of fear, purely and simply because it was ill-treated. So it depends entirely upon the relativity of the relationship built by the horse within the situation. Because you are a being of physical state and of human intent, and you perhaps give love to the horse, does that mean to say that it makes the horse more special? It would actually bring about the case that within the horse's aspect of its integrity, its intelligence, how it interacts with different beings, how it makes up its own mind questions, and how it answers them itself, to do with its whole re relationship with itself and its own life, how it interacts in the physical world, will be something of a great spiritual nature because horses basically are very spiritual. So that means to say it brings us into a different facet. It means that horses understand the product of one and one. If I do this, then this happens. So is that they, like cause and effect? Yes, absolutely so. And But they can also understand something that does not exist. For example, spirit. They understand fear. They understand emotion. They understand different energies between people, between being. They can sense if a person is coming toward them with an intent, even though that person may try to disguise it. So, for example, when you take a horse to a slaughterhouse, doesn't mean to say that it's actually going to be worried or scared to the point at which it reaches the building. It will be worried and scared before it's even got there because it'll be in a type of transport that's completely alien to it. And the situation that it will be going through will be one of its fight or flight. And that does not then detract from the consciousness of the being. On the contrary, it, it, it doesn't add to it. It doesn't make it a better animal for having gone through that process. It's exactly like human beings. You don't get brownie points for being run over by a bus or by coaching four horses. You don't get brownie points for being having an axe or a cleaver through your neck or something like that or being shot. It, it, it's not a situation which is applauded in the spirit world. Any point at which a being, regardless of its nature, passes to the spirit world is both a cause of celebration, of sadness because of that life was ended, but also of the continuum and understanding that actual entity, its individuality will be celebrated within the spirit world. That means to say within the soul group of horse, there are millions and billions of beings who had a physical life called horse. Okay. Yes. So my next question is this. Um, Sorry. Could a horse that's had close contact with humans, say, could, could that energy or spirit or consciousness or awareness go on to to exist in another vehicle such as human no right this i mean is is there other is there a, 
groups of species that do interchange or does human always be human or could a human come back as a grey you know i mean in the bigger picture of things a human being a, a being basically a spirit does have an ability to transcend what it was it may take millions of years it may be that being actually doesn't need to do that the point is that what i would have to say is that the necessity for spirit is not to have physical life, regardless of its form. It is maybe to have a, a, a form of physical life at some point during that spirit's nature, because that, as a part of God, is what it is. But that doesn't mean to say it always has to be that. So, for example, then, the spirit of a horse will not necessarily always be only horse. It will perhaps eventually transcend into just being a pure, beautiful spirit and will actually lose its identity of what it was once upon a time in a physical life. And that's exactly the same as human physical beings, their spirit. Yes, you may well go on being Ian Jones for some considerable centuries, my dear friend. Oh, God. Oh, but, however, exactly, but you may well, in fact, get, grow tired of it. And, in fact, you, it may well become that after so many hundreds of years or whatever, that you actually decide that, or not that you decide necessarily intentionally, but rather that your energy changes so that you don't, and simply are unable to continue to wear the fabric of memory that was Ian Jones. It simply would not continue to become you because your energy of spirit transcends that which was physical. And I'm saying this in the best possible taste, my dear friend, that in, in many respects, most beings in the physical side of life, once they have had physical life and have passed, understand so much more about simply what they would not ever have broached in the physical side of life because it is in fact so structurally limiting and so limiting of the sense of purpose because you do not have the awareness of the laws of proximity to allow you to understand more than the process than that you are actually going through at the time of going through it that's my point really that i'm always very uh, uh, understanding over people who would uh, insist upon that they would have to come and have another physical life in order to then experience more things. But I, my point really is that because of the law of proximity and the governance of it, when you are having physical life, you are experiencing the lives of everybody else that interacts with you anyway. So you don't have to have their kind of life in order to understand the pain and suffering that they went through or the joys and beauty that they went through. You're experiencing it. You're understanding. Even before there were newspapers, even before there were television sets and all of the modern things that you have now, people interacted with one another in different ways and still understood much about one another's behavior. And that was sufficient. You don't need all the rest of it. Mm. But to really fully understand what's going through somebody's mind, though, um, you, you, you can't 
get that on the earth plane here because everybody keeps their thoughts secret and their intentions secret yes, mostly, that's, don't they? That's quite right, my dear friend Ian Jones. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, but what you're so, saying is when you, when you move off back into the spirit world, then you're able to see the whole 360-degree experience. And every dimension of it. Right, Not okay. just the experience, but also how that experience affected the lives of everybody else that was connected to that experience. That's part of the reason why, my dear friend, so many people, when they have uh, retired to our side of life, and they observe the situations and conditions of their once physical life, that it's in a sense, it comes to them in a, in a, in a flash really over the whole continuum of it and how absolutely completely pointless or wasted it was, a wasted opportunity in a sense, not then meaning that they have to hanker over having another go or something like that, because in actual fact, they soon, very soon understand that their energy simply transcends beyond that of the physical state. And it's absolutely not necessary. And that's the same way, my dear offenders, if you had a, a beloved pet, a dog or a cat or a horse, or an alligator or some other lizard-like being or spider, it doesn't matter. It's the situation was of the relationship. Hopefully you would be uh, as good a person or as good a being as you could to that uh, captive that you held within your life experience and that you had given it the greatest consciousness you could by being a true friend and that includes of course helping it to pass when it was its time yeah sure so one of the other questions that was asked is you know is there any difference between the sacredness of a slug and an elephant and I guess the answer is no isn't it I suppose so. Uh, it depends on who you are and whether you would like to kiss one or the other. Yeah. But if you're a human, if you're an intelligent, aware, compassionate, loving individual, then yes. you shouldn't discriminate against any animal, any insect, unless that you're in mortal danger of being attacked by a, a swarm of bees or something. <laughs> yes, yes, quite so. Absolutely. I completely agree. I, I'm, I am not one who advocates that people just sit there and take life as though they're some sort of battered fish. Sure. Okay. Uh, another question before we move on. Um, I'll read this one out, actually. Um, I would love to hear the spiritual perspective on how I can enjoy my life without feeling guilty about those in desperately poor countries who can barely survive. I do not have much compared to many, yet I feel abundant because I have enough money to keep a roof over my head, to buy food, clothing, and I have access to healthcare. I sometimes feel guilty that I have so much when others have nothing. I am hugely grateful for my lifestyle and want to enjoy it, but I do struggle with this from time to time. I know, my dear friend. First of all, what I have to say is that our hearts and our love go out to you purely and simply because you have succeeded where many others have failed. Within your temperance of energy, within your understanding comes light and love, not just because you are in a position of wealth or power, but because you have the insight to recognize so much more is available to you through the processes of your life. When you acknowledge 
that there are many other beings of other tribes, of other nations, in other parts of your planet, who are in distress or turmoil, who do not have the life abilities you currently possess. Part of what this makes you feel, dear friend, is that you feel abundant and that you should feel that you are not taking advantage unnecessarily of the good course that you are able to live within. That does not make you above everyone else and you recognize that. It also leaves you feeling as though you have this bleeding heart and I recognize that too. This is not a structure of your failure, but perhaps what you may do, dear friend, is that you turn your feelings into one of being a voice for those who have less than you do. And perhaps that, in a sense, would enable you to turn your energy, what you have of it, that is spare within your day, that you perhaps turn it into a productive thing. So that, shall we say then, even if you have one hour in your day where you are not doing, it's not full of your physical life needs or fulfilling those desires you meet, but that in fact it's something that is just a, like a wasted hour. What you can do is actually turn that into a positive thing of focus that enables you to bring about some useful purpose towards someone else. And simply by doing that will mean that the situation will be that you'll still be thinking of these people in poorer countries or whatever. But at the same time, what you are doing is you are measuring how you feel by what you can achieve as well. You have to lessen the impact of how you see your life as being negative and instead do something positive to offset it so that it is not something that you then see yourself as a negative approach to the world, but that actually you are trying to do something positive, even if it means that you're having a conversation with someone else. The fact, my friend, that you have picked up a pen and written this question about your own series and your life means that you have thought and understood certain facets of the event horizon that exists before you. Turn that event horizon into something that is positive, which will meet the challenges of your time. Therefore, my dear friend, you will feel much more at heart that you are a part of this in service and that you are making this piece of service your offering to the identity of the whole of your planet. And be aware, dear friend, that you are deeply blessed. Thank you, Gregory. Thank you. Now I'm going to sort of move on to sort of a different flavour, really, because I just want to catch up on some current affairs, because um, lots of things have been going on on busy planet Earth over the last um, couple of weeks. Yes, please. So I just want to catch up on stuff. And actually, one of the, the points that I've written down here kind of ties in with the animals. Um, you know, so there's a big news item in the week of a killer whale that unfortunately 
killed a lady um, trainer in in Florida, and um, yes. I just kind of wonder, you know, why that happened. You know, obviously the animal was being cooped up in a confined space. You know, was it an accident? Is, does the animal actually feel the pain and the restrictment and the frustration? And just wondered if you could, you know, put some light on that. Yes, my dear friend. Actually, the animal was at play. Right. So it was that the animal in question thought that it was part of a game. Right. So actually wanted to play with the human because the human always wants to play with the animal. Yeah. And thought that uh, I understand that uh, by grabbing the human in the best way possible uh, that uh, the human would want to experience what it was like at the bottom of the tank. You know, would the wow be aware that, that he or she killed the human? Not necessarily so, my dear friend. You have to remember that killer whales, orcas, uh, are instrumental uh, in bringing about the passing of um, infant whales, purely and simply because they like the taste of a certain whale's tongue. So the problem really stems from, I feel, in this uh, situation, that of human intensity and how much a human being places onto another animal. It's a matter of the destiny of how a being interacts with another being. What is the process at which by you limit the possibility of the animal striking you because it's in essentially a wild animal and will never become anything other than a wild animal. Yes, it will become tamed to a certain extent, but only to the extent by which you will see that the animal wants to perform tricks purely and simply because it's learned to do that through the processes of food. If you, my dear friend, look at uh, an, a, a different statement of the relationship of a being, a human being, between wild animals and understand the real relationship through it. I am not aware of the gentleman's name, but I understand that there is a person in South Africa who recently took up a job of being a game warden to uh, a, a, a part of a, a wildlife reserve and that the, the warden himself walked up to a pride of lions and began petting with them. He had never been introduced to them before. He actually went and encouraged them into the water and bathed with them as well. This person's energy would have been much more able to handle and to identify the situation between himself and the beings who are, were around him and who still constantly keep as his companions purely and simply because of his energy. If it were that the handler in the uh, situation of the orca whale had actually had such an affinity as the gentleman I am talking about in South Africa, then 
the situation would not have happened. The event would not have happened. So in, in a sense, it's part of when a human being continues to be a trainer or when they're actually really going to become empathic with the animal that they are sincerely trying to train. I understand that, yeah. There's, there's been cases actually with, um, I interviewed a, a guy last year whose son was autistic. He's written a very well-known book and a film and basically his son ran out one day um, to a wild horse, uh, yes. Betsy I believe, and he was obviously really worried that the horse was going to attack his son, but in actual fact, the, the horse became very submissive and just went down onto two legs and... Of course. Unbelievable. Oh, See, absolutely. My dear friend, I would have to say, my dear friend, that the same exact same situation and the exact same principle would always happen when you are faced with, when you have a child, particularly a child, whether that child was autistic or whether that child was perhaps in some other way disfigured or some other way had, uh, how can I describe this? So, for example, you would have a person who was perhaps a rider in a competition who was, uh, had no legs or perhaps no arms. And uh, such situations as that person uh, being able to ride a horse, you will find that the horse will completely change its whole entire attitude because it will understand immediately the condition of the person. A bit like a dolphin, really, in a sense, except for, of course, the fact that the dolphin uses its own sonic vibrations as well to interact with the, with the physical human being on a different level. And that doesn't just apply to human beings. It applies to dogs and cats and any other animal that may happen to be in the water alongside a dolphin. Wow, okay, that's, that's really, really good, good to know, actually. Very, very good. Um, so, so, so moving on from that, actually, um, obviously I keep an eye on a lot of things because I try to stay up to date with current affairs. And yeah. one of the things I, I've asked you over many shows before is about the sun. Because obviously we've gone into um, this, I think Solar Cycle 24. We went through Solar Minimum, and we should have been now heading into Solar Maximum. And from what I gather, for the last two years, the sun has been very, very, very quiet. Um, yeah. All of a sudden, now in the last month or so, it's just completely exploded into life um, with um, lots of flares coming off the sun, yeah. Yeah. a huge filament, magnetic filament coming off the sun. And yeah. I just wondered that, um, you know, is this part of a natural cycle that's going to happen now as we head towards solar maximum or is it something that perhaps we should be concerned about with all the other issues we might have <laughs> on planet earth at the moment yes yes uh, the point really is that the sun will have times when it is erratic uh, in its behavior purely and simply because of the combustion the different chemical interactions and the ways that various gases build up and pressures in a sense build up the point is that you are looking like at some situation of structure that has not a, it doesn't have a carbon copy. It doesn't have something that it is ordering it to do this or do that. It's a mechanism that actually exudes different things at different times. And you cannot say that one would be this cycle or that cycle. 
I understand that human beings already always try to pin everything down into cycles of this and cycles of that. But in actual fact, when you are dealing with the natural consequence of the actual structure and strata of the universe, you are looking at things at which time and presence may it may look as though it happens in this kind of sequence and then suddenly it goes completely out of kilter and something automatically uh, incoherent alters the whole facet of what you're looking at. And part of the structure of what we're seeing at this present time is, yes, as you say, the sun moving through these different models, but the, the models that human beings have painted are not necessarily 100% accurate. They have a plus or minus factor of perhaps uh, 10, 15 percent, maybe even 20 percent. It depends on which way round you're looking at it and how you are observing this time, at this moment, within the cycle of things, like it's exactly the same as where you are experiencing the cycle of the Earth and how it moves through one uh, part of its cycle to another. Uh, the different seasons and that kind of thing, all relative to its position with the sun. And in actual fact, what's happening is that you may even find that the Earth moves slightly further out of its orbit than it would normally be. So its trajectory ends up in being completely different. And also that will alter a great many other facets of itself as well, uh, particularly to do with electromagnetic static forces, uh, the whole situation of its um, in intensity to do with the uh, with the magnetic pull of itself as well as the pull of many other structures. So you can see also that not only are the the activities of the sun having a bearing upon this, but also the amount of the energy that comes from the sun and how that structure of energy then affects the earth or affects the moon or yeah. affects any of the other planets yeah. uh, surrounding it. Okay. They're all going to have a certain degree of influence upon the Earth as well, and vis-a-vis -vis one within another. Because, you know, obviously we've, um, if you get like an X-class flare come off the sun and it hits, you know, it's, it's the Earth-facing side, then obviously with the holes in the magnetosphere and, and yeah. the, all the, the dependency on electronics and satellites, there's always going to be an increased risk of that going down, isn't there? Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, uh, and particularly, I would always have suggested, which does not apparently been adhered to uh, lately, that all aeroplanes actually have the ability to fly without uh, the use of computers. Sure, yeah. I mean, just I don't want to put fear in at people, but uh, I mean, no. with, with the sun kind of heating up and uh, you know, popping off left, right and centre, I mean, is that kind of a, something that's going to be more prevalent in the future, do you think? Or do you think it's going to be business as usual? It will really, really, my dear friend, depend up entirely upon the causes of these effects. The known causes are, at this present time are very difficult to ascertain purely and simply because of the extenuation circumstances of gases that are building up and how they are being manifest in any event. Uh, uh, the gases which are immediately surrounding the sun, for example, and how different forms of this are being affected by other, how can I say this, other, other uh, parts of, of uh, minerals and gases and, and situations elsewhere within the galaxy or 
so you have so many different structures which are it's not uh, which are actually having a bearing upon the sun and therefore upon the earth it's not just a fiery ball of uh, of whatever it's it's actually pulling in material all of the time from elsewhere yeah <clears throat> and not only material from your present physical dimension suns also pull in material from other dimensions too so is that kind of like hyperdimensional physics yeah, or? absolutely yes yeah yeah is that like to do torsion fields have you heard of that concept yes 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 i have yeah so yes. so just another question on that as well and i think a lot of people are kind of putting this together i mean this this is more in the kind of um conspiracy um, alternative media if you like but obviously we just had the, another huge earthquake in Chile and we spoke about this I think it's a 700 year cycle that you see on earth and the, pl the plates are moving and there's going to be you know obviously more because things are happening but it just seems to be really well timed with major activity on the sun and also there was a huge iceberg that broke off in, in Antarctica as well and yeah, you cool. kind of think are these all variables that could have attributed to this? Yes, well, they're all a part of it, my dear friend. They're not, they're not contributing toward it. They are simply all that you are seeing is the flexation of the, the Pacific plate. And the point is that it is something, it's so large and continues to have such structures of bearing upon it because of the different structures and forties of, uh, for example, uh, as in the fact that we had said that we were expecting this plate to constantly flex, as it will constantly flex. It will have times when that flexation will be building dramatically, as you have just seen in Chile, whereas in actual fact we were expecting it to do that uh, same situation uh, in or around the city of Seattle. It actually did it in the opposite direction. But the same part of that plate, in a sense, was responsible inadvertently for the minor, more minor uh, interaction on off the coast of Japan. And that simply was a, a predilection to the other various situations around Haiti. And, and so in, in many respects, you would see, and I know that Haiti is in fact a completely different uh, uh, part of the structure, but in many respects, they're all interlinked. You have to understand that, that within uh, particularly such a volatile place as the Andes and the, the other mountains, the Rocky Mountains, as well as the, the whole uh, spiral part of it where you have the Philippine Islands, this other part of the, the, the structure of the plate itself uh, then simply flexes and uh, lets go of its energy at various different points. And it is very difficult as I said before, to predict this exactly as to which will be next. Because mm. I know that in reading some other stuff as well, that um, Yellowstone has been having lots of swarms yes, um, up there. And, um, you know, a lot of the residents are worried that there's going to be a big event there. And the geologists are saying they don't think so. Um, yes, but of course, it, in, in that particular area, it was a supervolcano anyway. It was a, a very hot spot for a, a great many thousands of years. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I just wondered, you know, is, is this kind of something that's 
um, just going to keep going until it's all released or is there like some end result like land rising up and because there's, there's a theory where land can rise up and then other parts of the land may go down into the sea so there might oh, be some absolutely true yes absolutely it's how the earth was formed yeah but um, you know some people are sort of um, I say guessing I guess that it might be quite drastic stuff so you know rather than happen over millions of years we might start seeing drastic changes well my dear friend if you look at the geophysical evidence and how that points to the 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 situation you will see that there have been times in the past where there have been dramatic lifts where there have been dramatic uh, uh, situations of slippage and uh, realignment if you like of uh, various points. The San Andreas Fault in particular uh, bears uh, allegiance to this whole argument and this whole synopsis of questions really of, of, of how the planet itself interacts with itself. The point is that it is of, uh, I suppose the best understanding for human beings to do is rather than to run within the fear of the situation but to understand it and how best human beings may cope with such situations and help one another in the evidence of such disasters. To improve that whole situation would be far better than uh, being actually uh, rather mimicking the energy of intensive negativity over it. I would rather see for human beings to understand that this is something that they can actually uh, take upon themselves and understand uh, of how they have to interact with one another so that they can make it uh, that it interacts with them the and has the least effect rather than the worst effect as in the Haiti situation as in the Chilean uh, uh, situation at this present time. Yeah. Of course, we are very sad for all of the losses of uh, those of physical life, both animal and human, and for all beings who have found themselves in such destructive circumstances. Um, I, I would wish for all humanity to move together in ways of repairing such uh, devastating circumstances. With, with the quakes, a lot of people are looking at the kind of the, um, the ring of fire, but you know, with countries like England and other places that are kind of away from the plates we know we're away from the year oh, i can't remember this is what it is now there's a euro plate isn't there yes. um and this kind of goes around just down the atlantic i think um yes but there is still activity quite sizable activity in actual fact yeah but it doesn't seem to be we, we seem to be pretty safe here but or you know could that obviously cause problems for people in england i understand my dear friend that the little island of the british isles um and its continuum have about 200 or so earthquakes each year. But they're obviously quite small, aren't they? Uh, yes, yes, uh, that is true. Some of them are not so small. So the situation is dependent upon how that changes, how the effects are changed purely and simply by the difference of uh, tectonic plate effects uh, uh, and how the different uh, balances occur. Greenland and Iceland obviously have a great bearing upon the activities of the British Isles and how uh, particularly I would say 
within the situation of running through Cumbria at this present time. Okay, so, so what's that running through Cumbria? Can you just repeat that again, please? Yes, uh, particularly with the situation running through Cumbria, which has actually had more than its fair share of earthquake scenarios and situations, as within the same situation, which runs a perpendicular angle uh, across through uh, the um, counties of Gloucestershire, Oxfordshire, and uh, into uh, Southamptonshire, I believe. Yeah. Or Round Southampton, yes. Yeah, okay. I mean, just just quickly backtracking on the, the 50 mile iceberg, they reckon that it could um, affect weather patterns in, in the Gulf Stream because it could block up the solidity of the water or the, the, the heavy salt water that sinks down that keeps the Gulf Stream going around in a circle. Yes, that's quite true. In actual fact, we are more concerned about the different fauna uh, which are... Uh, and flora which are uh, uh, abundant upon the ocean surface and how that will affect the salinity of the water rather than one particular iceberg melting is really to do with the whole gradual change of uh, the ecology of oceans. Uh, this is something that we have long talked over um, and discussed with a great many peoples on your side of life. Uh, particularly to do with ocean welfare and the various different uh, um, situations of food chain material and how we are seeing that faunic life is changing abundantly and uh, catastrophically in many respects to do with oceanic uh, performance and its stability and harmony. Mm. So did, did it break off because it's warming up? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Uh, because of uh, uh, ozone depletion, I understand as well. Yeah, okay. That's quite interesting. Really, really interesting. I think cause, uh, there's so much going on at the moment on planet Earth. I mean, so many people that I know, you know yes. are talking about it because it's like every other week something big happens. Um, and, you know, yes. you really can't keep up with, with the changes in a way. Yes. Don't think, my dear friend, that because of the fact that you have had a great many. Uh, cold spells at this present time that that's the end of global warming it's actually a part of it it's uh, that you will have wayward activity that is uh, uncharacteristic that you will have uh, many more storms much more violent deeper storms situations of a kind of reference that you will be unfamiliar to you I understand that there were times when there were tornadoes and all and hurricanes and all the rest of it in the little places of England uh, during the reigns of different kings and queens of the country. Mm, I, I've seen a tornado in England. Yes, absolutely so. Yeah. I myself uh, witnessed one also. Yeah, I mean we also had this huge storm that hit Europe as well this week as well. It was absolutely devastating. Um, and we, we escaped it here in the UK but um, yeah, there's, there's certainly a lot um, going on. Um, yeah, sorry that we sort of ended the show on a bit of a down, downer there, but I just wanted to sort of catch up on some of the current affairs anyway, because I sort of yeah. like to I understand uh, that. flush out a few ideas anyway about stuff. So, the, point um, is, the point is, my dear friend, I would suggest to you that people not see it as negativity. People see it as a point of awareness. This is a situation which isn't going to disappear. It is with you now. 
So that means it should give you the impetus to do something more, not just sit on your bottom twiddling your thumbs, but actually to do something more about your presence, about your energy, about who you are, what you say, how you think, how you interact with your physical life and the beings in your presence so that you take more care, are more harmonic, are more beautiful a being to beholden to the world. And therefore, maybe others will learn lessons from you that will embide in a greater future horizon for them also. Because hmm. there's, there's a saying that they say that, you know, ignorance is bliss. But, you know, that or some people say that you shouldn't really focus on the negative stuff and just be in a state of bliss. But I, I personally feel, and you can perhaps give me your views on this, but I think it's important to be in a state of bliss, but we shouldn't really be in a place of ignorance. Like, it, we should be armed and with knowledge so that we're able to do something good with it. Like, use our positive energy to enforce really good action. Yes. That's a part of the reason why we are speaking as at one with the White Cloud Group, my dear friend, uh, purely and simply, because that is the essence of energy where we come from, that education is the greatest insight for human beings' survival in the physical state so that we don't have to deal with it of the mistakes in the spirit world. Yeah. I mean, just, just one last note, we, we did have somebody that wrote a comment on the site and they were fed up with living on Earth, you know, and, um, you know, what is the point of living? But in actual fact, we are the caretakers, aren't we? We are here to make this Eden. We are the ones to really improve the planet, nobody else, really. Yes, and, and human beings, the reason why you're here is that you have to learn the energy lessons of the past. You have to take history, understand it, not ignore it, not think that it's something of the past and nothing to do with you. It's everything to do with you because it gives you the core energy of who you are. It gives you the resonance by which you gain understanding, knowledge, empowerment to enable you to bring about a better planet, a better world. Don't shrug away from your responsibilities by ending your physical life and saying, oh, well, I'm fed up with this. I'll come back to the spirit world. Once you get here, you'll be uh, very uh, sorry that you made such a decision for your, you have wasted your opportunity to bring about of something of purpose, of beauty, of love, of reassurance and understanding and knowledge. Okay. Well, thank you very much, um, Gregory, again, and the White Cloud Group been a wonderful enlightening show as always thank you so with love and light and abundance my dear friends to all of you thank you so god bless upon your journeys god bless thank you if you would like to book your own personal reading with gregory to find out about your own soul journey then please visit the graphic banner underneath the show or visit www.spirit-teaching.com